The Non-Profit Comeback Podcast with Garrett Housel. Welcome back to the next session of the Nonprofit Comeback Summit. We're so excited to have you here today. And uh, we're going to be talking to Jeremy Turner for the third time on a different topic that I think is going to be absolutely phenomenal. Today, we're talking about the four cornerstones of a successful and sustainable impact-focused nonprofit business model, right? And so I think that this is a super important uh, topic, talking about how a nonprofit can create a sustainable model and adopt some of the business practices that a lot of them miss and, and cause uh, some lack of growth, if you will. And, and today we're going to be talking about how to prevent that and instead stimulate growth within your organization using these four primary cornerstones. Again, we are accompanied here today by Jeremy Turner, uh, who's an absolutely phenomenal human being in general, uh, but also has worked within the nonprofit space uh, for, for the last many years, um, 15 to 20. I, I apologize for uh, whichever one is wrong. Um, but he's been doing this for quite a while, helping organizations and businesses uh, understand how to grow. He's been on the board of advisors many times. He served as a professor uh, at the, I'm going to read it this time so I don't mess it up, Marshall University Lewis College of Business, uh, that's a mouthful, as an ad adjunct professor of uh, entrepreneurship. And uh, for the past seven and a half years, he's been working on uh, your epic mission. Uh, which is an absolutely phenomenal organization meant to help organizations and uh, businesses thrive and build resilient, hope-filled communities that, that are engaging and encouraging to their community and empower entrepreneurs and the people that they serve. Now, they also run the uh, Heroes of Change podcast alongside of that, um, which is an absolutely phenomenal podcast. If you haven't listened to it, you should definitely check it out. It's available on all major platforms. Um, but for now, let's get into this conversation about the four cornerstones of building a sustainable nonprofit impact-focused business model. Jeremy, how are you doing today? And Garrett, I'm doing well. I, I appreciate the warm welcome. And uh, you said a lot of very kind things about me, and, and I'm very thankful for that. That's great to join you today. Awesome. Well, let's go ahead and get get started. What are the four? Let, let's lay out the four cornerstones here at the front, and then we'll go in depth into each of them and, and why it's important. Um, but right before you you tell us what these exact four cornerstones are, um, what kind of mindset should a, an organization approach um, this kind of building of the business model when it comes to uh, their their desires and, and these cornerstones? Yeah, I, I love talking about mindsets and um, I want to provide a little bit of um, background information as, as we jump into the four cornerstones piece as well. So the mindset piece, uh, you know, you may be familiar with the term growth mindset or entrepreneurial mindset. Uh, you know, those have uh, connotations. Um, you may or may not think these necessarily apply to you. Mm -hmm. uh, the concept of growth mindset is just simply understanding that, you um, you, know, you don't know all the things you need to know. You need to remain pliable uh, so that you can continue to absorb new things as you move forward. Always be the student. Mindset. I'm sorry? Always be the student. That's one of my mantras. Everyone's That's got a lesson to teach. You're a student. You, you can't uh, stop learning in this world or else you really stop living. Absolutely. Entrepreneurial mindset's about uh, solving problems and, and seeing, pro seeing opportunities where problems exist. I would say um, sort of a simplification of those is really, I think curiosity 
is the greatest human superpower, right? Remaining curious, looking around you and, and considering how does that work or how might that work better? Uh, so, you know, whether you were looking at, you know, a product in the market that's, you know, exists, or if you're considering your organization, say, hmm, are we doing what we need to do for the people that we say we're doing it for? Um, and how, how might we do it better? So that, that's really the mindset piece is, is this curiosity and, and, um, and, and growth mindset piece, coupled with something that we'll talk about more today is, is empathy, which, you know, in the nonprofit space, we say that we're here to serve others. And the best way to truly understand what other people need so that we're not taking this uh, sort of dominant uh, top-down approach and pushing solutions down on people, the best way to, to not do that is to maintain uh, empathy, to, to um, encourage empathy and grow your empathy so that you can see and feel and understand the world through the eyes of those whom you're trying to serve, right? So that you're not, uh, you know, pushing solutions down on them that don't actually matter, uh, that you're actually working to solve true underlying conditions, not top level symptoms, right? Yeah. So, you know, considering that, that, that's a little bit about the mindset and I'll get into business models and such here in just a second, but I wanted to pause and see if, if Garrett, if you had a question about anything that. No, I, I think that this is, this is absolutely an important thing to, to clarify about the, these mindsets and the importance of empathy uh, in, in an organization, because what it really comes down to, especially now more than ever before, is we're identifying with missions, we're identifying with visions and, and the goals and values that, that we subscribe to, that we hold and, and want to push forward to the rest of the world. Um, and, and, and I think that all, all of this coalesces into what you were talking about, curiosity. You know, um, you know, people say curiosity killed the cat, and that's why a lot of people kill their curiosity. But the, the, actually, the full idiom says curiosity killed the cat, but satisfaction brought it back. And so um, that kind of encourage us, encourages us to be, to be curious, right? To have that childlike sense of wonder so that when we ad eventually do find the thing or we get to that point where we need to be, we wouldn't have gotten there without curiosity. So in order for growth to happen, um, you have to acknowledge that change is going, going to occur and that it may not always be comfortable, right? Mm -hmm. And, and that, that does play a role within the empathy of the organization and the individuals that comprise it in how they communicate outwardly, right? Absolutely. Yeah. The, so um, the old saying is that um, necessity is the mother of invention. Mm. And, you know, inventing something is really maybe step one. The ongoing and, and continual growth and evolution and, and um, improvement of an organization, I think, is, is driven by curiosity and empathy. Um, you know, this, this willful desire to very intentionally move forward, move the organization forward in the direction that makes the most sense yeah. or solving the problems you say you're trying to solve for the people whom you say you're trying to serve. So yep. um, just a, a little uh, piece on that. Um, Great. You know, your, your early question asked about uh, four cornerstones of the business model. And, yeah. and I think before we even get into the uh, these four cornerstones. Let me talk business model for a minute, because being someone who, who teaches entrepreneurship and is an entrepreneur and works with entrepreneurs, um, 
on the nonprofit side, sometimes this language uh, is is lost or you know it's unfamiliar. There's, there's there's jargon on both sides of the profit line. Right. You know, from nonprofit to for profit, there's words we use that maybe don't uh, move over the line too too easily. So business model, let's talk about that. You may have heard of a business plan. You may be familiar with a business plan or a strategic plan even. Um, business model is a component of a business plan. Think of it as your skeleton. It's the skeleton upon which the meat of, of everything you do as an organization hangs upon, or it's the DNA that uh, sequence that, that orders how, how your body does what it does, right? So right. your business model is, is really the core essence of your organization, for-profit, non-profit, doesn't matter. You have a business model because mm-hmm. whether you're for-profit or non-profit, you are still a business. You're still a yes. business entity. Nonprofit is simply a tax designation. Okay, right. so you're still a business. So uh, business model is about what are the key components of your business, including what's the problem you solve, what's the solution you offer, who do you uh, solve this problem for, how do you deliver this solution, um, how do you make money, where do you spend money, what makes you different and unique and mm-hmm. remarkable versus your competition, things like that. So understanding what is your business model is really, uh, I think, crucial towards designing your organization and how you move forward. And you can you can plan your business model. Every organization has a business model by default if they don't plan it. Right. And you can make adjustments to your business model over time because your organization is a living, breathing thing that should adjust through time. Because otherwise, it will stagnate and die as conditions around you change if you don't adjust to them or because of them, uh, then you'll stagnate and die like a pond where there's there's no moving water. Right, right. Awesome. So then would, would you be able to tell us what these four cornerstones are in order to be able to have a sustainable business model? Absolutely. So what I teach as, as the basics, what I, what I refer to as these four cornerstones upon which everything else is built is number one is what is the problem that you're solving? And it's really, really important to keep digging. Uh-huh. And one of the ways that you can dig, so let's say that you think that the problem is whatever, pick a problem, doesn't matter. Um, you, in order to really keep digging and see, are you treating a symptom or a higher order problem? Uh-huh. How might you dig deeper? Is to ask, why does that matter? So you can work through an, through, uh, through an exercise called the five whys where you say, okay, why does that matter? Okay, well, so why does that matter? And you keep asking, um, and it can be, you know, somewhat frustrating, you know, if someone's pinging you with these questions, why does that matter? Why does that matter? feels like you're dealing with a child asking why. Maybe but you should just retain a five-year-old. Exactly, they can ask you why all day long. But it's really important to keep digging and find underlying causation if you truly want to be um, impact-minded, if you mm-hmm. truly want to make a, um, a major difference in the lives of other people yeah. work on the underlying issues, not top level symptoms. So and I think the specificity of that surgery, right? Right. I think, I think the specificity of that is super important. And like yeah. you said earlier, we're, we're diagnosing here, right? Mm-hmm. The problem that we're solving, you know, it, 
prescription before diagnosis is, is malpractice, right? So before we can actually prescribe a, a solution, uh, before we can actually get to the end result, we have to know what the actual problem is and not just symptoms of that problem. And that's why digging deep is so important, right? Indeed. And, and so this exercise of the five whys or hiring a child, um, which is probably a bad idea because it infringes on child <laughs> labor laws. Um, but like, Maybe, maybe do an exercise with, with your, your son or daughter and just ah, talk about your business. I don't know. But going through this five whys exercise is a really great way to identify the problem you solve because that's where people are going to identify the most with your nonprofit and your cause. Is that, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and really things can begin with you know, practicing great empathy for the people around you. So you know, let's say that you're working with homeless populations, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, we can talk about why homelessness occurs, whether it's, you know, episodic or long-term, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but taking note and observing uh, what's going on in the lives of those who are experiencing homelessness for whatever yeah. reason. And you can start with a hypothesis. I believe the problem is, and name yes. it, whatever, whatever you think it might right. be. And, you know, you can continue saying, okay, well, why does that matter? Why does that matter? Um, and, and work to dig a little deeper. And there's, there's a myriad of other, other um, techniques, and we can talk more about this, how you might dig deeper and how you might practice great empathy. Sure. Um, but really the key is uh, I want you to see, can you get to the underlying issue? Can you hit bedrock? Because that's where you have something very solid and stable upon which you can build uh, a sustainable solution, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. So uh, problem is really is cornerstone number one. And the second is, and you, you can, we can examine these in different order. It doesn't matter um, sure. per se, but solution. So every action has equal and opposite reaction, according to Newton. Um, <laughs> if there's a problem, then we're challenged with crafting, devising, creating, finding a solution and not just, you know, any solution, but a solution to an underlying issue. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you can find uh, a, a problem worth solving is, is sort of the phrasing that we often use in entrepreneurship. It's a, it's a problem that is so big that it causes people, either a large group or a, a niche group of people, enough pain that they would seek a remedy for it mm-hmm. and yeah. that they might uh, give you money or something else of value and consideration for the solution that you offer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, finding a problem worth solving and then, you know, creating a solution that truly gets at the heart of the problem that you're, sim- you're, you're attempting to solve. Um, again, not, not symptoms, not temporary fix, but you know, true underlying um, uh, solution if, you, if you're able to. And taking a note of whether your solution is novel or not, is it new, is it, is it different? Or are you doing just exactly what the person right next to you is doing? And what happens there is, let's say that you're operating in a, in a, in a small community and you notice a problem uh, that's being experienced by a certain sector of the community. And you say, man, I, I, they really need that problem solved. And you strike out on your own and say, I think I'd like to solve it and here's how. And you end up doing exactly what another local nonprofit organization is doing. Then you, you can begin to cannibalize one another. Right. Whereas instead you might say, um, hey, uh, I recognize XYZ organization that you're operating on this problem here um, and you're doing it this way. I wonder if we might partner with you and address it from this fa- uh, fa- uh, 
um, side as well, maybe we can collaborate in some way um, so that you're doing something and I'm doing something that's additive to where we can truly address the underlying problem and, sure. and you know, come up with some lasting solutions. Absolutely. And I mean, this this second cornerstone is is kind of predicated on the first. You've got to know the problem before you can ha have the solution, right? Right. And, and I love what you said about not cannibalizing one another. And I think it just shows even more importance on community and relationship building and the importance of, of partnerships. Um, but again, that still is the on the underlying basis of empathy, right? Because if this problem truly like deserves the empathy from all of the people that the organization is helping, then if that's what's driving you and the organization or your organization and another organization, there shouldn't be conflict there, right? And I think conflict occurs as a result of either not agreeing on the problem or the solution and not approaching it from the point of empathy. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, and I think quite honestly, conflict occurs because of ego, because we forget exactly why sure. we're doing what we're doing. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's not that that work in, in the nonprofit sector is selfless. Um, you know, that's a term that's heard a lot, that's set, stated a lot is it's selfless mm -hmm. work. It's okay to get something out of the work that you do. And actually, sure. nobody really does anything for free. We all are seeking something from, uh, from the work that we do, and there's nothing wrong with mm -hmm. that. Um, you know, for me, my, I have some filters, um, that in order for me to feel good about what I'm doing, it can't be illegal, immoral, or unethical, right? So you may have some filters for what it is that you do as well, but there, I get something out of the work I do. It's fulfilling. It gives me a sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm being, a, I'm learning to be a better human being by interacting with some wonderful human beings. There's, yeah. there's lots of things. And, you know, of course, for much of the work I do, I get paid, Right. Um, you know, we all need to earn a living. So, you know, getting something out of the work that you do is there's nothing wrong with that. Right. So, you, but getting ego out of the way a bit so that it's not, you know, your way is the only way. Um, there's there's a, a lot of different ways to do great things. And, you know, we, be, we are better neighbors um, with our other community members and our community organizations when we take time to understand what they do and how they do it and why they do it and see if we can partner rather than Bigfoot them and come and, and, you know, put them out of business or, you know, whatever, completely duplicate efforts. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I think that that's, that's very, very important. There's a lot of good books on ego. Uh, that's for sure. I, I, I've read quite a few and I, I think that that's, they've been super helpful in my life. So uh, if that's something someone struggles with, maybe check it out. Yeah. Um, so this, this is awesome. We've got the problem. We've got the solution. What's the third cornerstone? Yeah, so it's the market, um, and in business terms or entrepreneurial terms, market is is the the sector of the community, the subset of the total population that you seek to address, that you seek your to audience. serve, right? It's your audience. It's you know, so um, you've got under market. So it's it's your people, right? Sure. You've really got you've got users and you've got buyers, and when we're talking about entrepreneurship, and they may not be the same thing. You know, for example, we have an 18 month old, so we we buy diapers, but our son uses them, right? So, sure. you know, just understanding market is made up of, of you know buyers and users. Um, when you're thinking about who it is that you're trying to help, again, empathy hugely important, so that you can take a real hard look at what is going on in their world. What do they What do they need? And it isn't necessarily what you think they need. And they may not be able to tell you exactly what they need. If they knew what they needed, they might have already gotten it by now. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, deploying empathy where you are seeking to engage, you're, you're recognizing this is a real live human being in front of you who has dreams and aspirations and may have had some really, um, you know, bad things happen to them along the way, uh, some missteps and, and misfortunes and what have you. Um, but they have emotions. You recognize their emotions. You speak that you recognize their emotions and you stay out of judgment. And if, if you're interested in, in hearing a quick bit on, on empathy or, or learning more about it, there's a researcher, uh, speaker, writer by the name of Brene Brown, um, who's, I believe, from the University of Texas, Austin. Amazing. I love her. She's got some really cool uh, short clips that she does. Uh, one is on the difference between sympathy and empathy. You can check that out on YouTube. But you know, it just really helps to hone in on what is empathy and how does it differ yeah. from sympathy? Yeah. Not the same thing. That sounds so, like a phenomenal resource. And I'm not obligated to say to say this, although it may annoy or, or upset some people, hang them horns. I'm sure the research study is phenomenal though. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so, um, you know, the empathy piece is, is really, it's a matter again of uh, trying to figure out what does this individual truly need and how might you solve it, um, you know, by providing a, a, a worthwhile solution, a novel solution. So, sure. uh, you know, gaining empathy is, is huge and continuing to practice empathy. Um, because it's something that you can practice. It's not necessarily something people are born with or not. You know, these are skill sets that you can develop over time. Absolutely. And active listening is is a very, very crucial piece of empathy. Yeah. And active listening is listening to understand, not listening to respond. Okay. So active listening. So we've got the the market or the, the people, the subset. Um, and when, when you're talking about, talking about population, um, who are you helping? Your answer isn't everybody. Um, this is something that as, as I work with entrepreneurial students and, and entrepreneurs, um, that they need to get more specific. Everybody is not your customer. Everyone is right. not your client. You're not trying to help everyone. Um, getting specific and, and doing what's called customer segmentation, where you're, yeah. you're uh, describing more in a more detail from a, a demographic or psychographic or behavioral or geographic perspective, who is it that you're trying to help? You know, maybe it's homeless veterans within um, the, you know, a, a local uh, Cleveland, Ohio neighborhood. Sure. Okay. That, it's not all homeless veterans around the world. Maybe it is, but um, less likely or all homeless people across the globe or all people across the globe. So getting, getting fairly specific on that because you know, as you're working with a more specific population, you're able to see more tendencies. Mm-hmm. You can see more patterns. Human beings are really great at recognizing patterns. And if yeah. you can begin to recognize these, these nuances, these patterns, then maybe you can begin, begin to predict things. And when right? you understand your market by segmenting it and, and getting to know them, you're, mm-hmm. you're more able to properly identify the problem and find the optimal solution for the market. Right. And Absolutely. I think that's why like all these cornerstones come into play with one another is they, they work together like a hand in a glove. Right. Yeah. So um, who is it you're trying to help? What's the problem you're trying to solve and what's the solution that you're offering? And the magic fourth uh, cornerstone, um, you know, so that we're not dealing with a three-legged stool, we've got four cornerstones, which is a real solid structure upon which to build. Mm-hmm. It's money. And in the nonprofit space, 
and especially as we get into uh, Christian nonprofit uh, ministry work, uh, there's this huge issue with money, right? We're taught that money is the root of all evils or, or um, you know, we should be meek and meager and just sort of scrape by and not really ask for money. We don't want to beg, you know, and we operate from a deficit mindset of we never have enough. And, you know, we see expenses, not investments. And, you know, it really um, holds back our ability to achieve meaningful, long-term, deep, sustainable impact because of our value system around money. So understanding how do you view money individually? What is the organizational culture you have around money? Is it meek and meager? We're not going to ask for it. We're just going to do the best we can. Consider this. If you've got people that are hurting, that are are literally dying and suffering, don't they deserve the absolute best possible solution, best resources being brought to bear on their behalf? If as an organization, if you view money as as the root of all evil and you're constantly limping by and you're not really stepping into the full picture of, of, of how great you could be because of your value system around money, then are you properly serving the people that you say you're here to serve? Yeah. Yeah. Just and, a question and, to consider. And I right. think that a, a lot of these, these problems around money and the way that it's, it's looked at by, by the Christian community, but also I think in, in a lot of areas, people view money as, as expenses instead of investments or, or things like that. Right. And, and if you go back to the idiom or, or, or the Bible verse that says the love of money or, or money is the root of all evil, it actually says the love of money is the root of all evils, right? And, and so that's really uh, plays right into what you're saying, right? It's how you view money. It's not money is evil. It's do you love money? Are you obsessed with money, right? And so when you kind of adopt this mindset of, for me, I look at money as a tool. Right. I don't care if I have money or not. Um, I care about the utility it provides me. Right. It does it allow me to help more people. Um, I have to have money in order to pay rent. Um, I have to have money for food. Right. I don't need money. I need these things and money allows me to get there. Right. And so I think that there's oftentimes a disconnect um, within organizations specifically, but even broadly speaking between my, my, what is my mission or purpose and how is money helping me get there? Not this money uh, shows me how well I'm doing at my, my mission, right? It, because it doesn't, right? If you have all this money, that's actually a bad thing because you should be spending it to further your mission, right? And so it, if, if one would look at it as a stepping stone towards the next step of their plan to help more people and grow their organization, I think that that is a healthier relationship with money that would be beneficial for any organization or individual to adopt, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, but at the same time, there also is the consideration about how the organization's culture feels about it, right? Because if everyone feels the same way and, you know, not everyone's mind is easily changed or, or maybe they've, they've come to know that money is evil for whatever reason, or, or they don't kind of conceptualize how to change the way they look at it. Um, what are some of the ways that you can change a culture around money in your organization? Yeah. So um, I think it's through having some conversation first and just understanding um, there's some exercises where you can, you know, uh, map out your, your um, beliefs around money, you know, mm-hmm. when, 
when you think of money, what are, what are the uh, images that appear in your mind? And, you know, what are the feelings that, that are evoked when you think about money? Um, you know, if, if you view money as power, um, you know, if you, if you had the power, what would you do with the money? You know, just, just thinking through the, the, this exercise. Um, so it's, it's really about, I believe, um, some introspection as individuals mm -hmm. to say, you know, what is my personal value system around money? And then organizationally, what is our culture? How do we, how do we view money? How do we use money? Is it a utilitarian? Is it a tool? Or is it, um, you know, we're, we're trying to accumulate as much as possible? Is it something that we push off and say, oh, money, we don't, we don't do that here. You know, we, we don't do money here. We're, so, we're still on the old school system of bartering for uh, rabbit skins. Right. And, you know, oftentimes there is, there is a barter system that occurs. Yeah. I have, oftentimes I have. Um, Hopefully not for rabbit skins though. Not for rabbit skins, but uh, although uh, might make a, a warm hat. True. Um, you know, I, I get individuals and organizations that, that approach me and say, you know, hey, we're a nonprofit. We don't have any money. Uh, can you help us? Like, okay. So, um if you're choosing to not have money as an organization, you know, that's on you, but um, I do have expenses as a human being and, you know, wife and kid and family, you know, we've got stuff. And so I actually do have to earn, earn an income. Um, I'm not independently wealthy and, and whatever. And so, um, you know, there is still this, this barter system. It comes with part of that deficit mindset. Oh, we're a nonprofit. We don't have money. We don't want money. Um, and we don't have money, but we, we have certain want we just want special uh, treatment and attention. Here's our beggar's cup. What will you put in it? Right. Right. And so I'm not really one to give away free things. Uh, you know, I'll give a little bit of my time, but beyond that, I think everyone should have to pay something. Um, you know, but so let me, let me dig into the money piece just a little bit more. Cause I want to want to make sure I get that clearly money. There's, there's really two sides of, of the proverbial coin uh, when it comes to the money piece for your organization and in describing this cornerstone, mm -hmm. you've got uh, expenses, right? You've got, how do you spend money and how do you make money? So considering as an organization, um, are you being a good steward of the funds uh, that you've been in, that have been entrusted to you? Mm -hmm. Are you spending your money wisely? This doesn't mean being cheap. This doesn't mean always going for the free option. This mm -hmm. means having a consideration of if I spend a little bit of money, will that create efficiencies in our organization that allow us to serve more people more efficiently? Or yeah. am I just looking for um, you know, the, the lowest expense uh, possible every month? And that's the metric I'm operating on for success is, well, we only spend $100 a month. That's not a success metric, that's a vanity metric. And the difference sure. is the vanity metric doesn't really mean anything. It, it, just, mm -hmm. it may look good, but it doesn't actually measure success like versus on your finding something page. impactful. Yeah. Sorry. It's like the likes on your Instagram page. Yeah. Yeah. Likes on Instagram or hits on your website or people that walk in your business. doesn't matter. Um, those are, those don't really measure true success. So, you know, understanding uh, from a cost perspective, where are you spending money and does it make sense? And right. if you spent a little bit more would that create efficiencies elsewhere, because you're really trading time for money. Mm -hmm. Right. So understanding the cost side and then on the revenue side, most organizations will operate solely from a contributed revenue standpoint of which is, hey, I need money. And, and you know, whether it's the beggar's cup or it's, um, you know, Facebook uh, fundraising or the, the 37th annual spaghetti dinner 
or whatever, um, you know, they, so that they'll operate from this contributed revenue standpoint when they, so that the only money they're getting is from people who are giving. Right. And you know, that is not always a sustainable model either. Right. Sure. So you're only getting money if others are giving it. Yeah. Um, and if you're only getting from maybe a few major donors and one of them decides they don't like you anymore, that's definitely not sustainable. So, you know, in, in retirement planning, uh, many people have heard, you know, you want to diversify your investments. Right. So if we're thinking about revenue um, and revenue needing is needed to sustain our mission, would we not want to perhaps diversify our revenue model, how we Absolutely. create the funds or, or find the funds for organization. So, you know, looking at things like individual giving and corporate matching and, you know, having a, a, a grants program and, you know, fundraisers, whether it's large fundraisers or small or, you know, looking at that, but also the other side of it, which is something that so many organizations shy away from, because again, we don't want money, money's bad. Mm -hmm. um, we can't do money here because we're a nonprofit. The thing that many don't look at is earned revenue, which is the exchange of thing of, of one thing for something else. Of you know, right. it's called an exchange of consideration, where you're selling a product or you're selling a service in exchange for a fee. Now, I'm not giving legal, tax, or financial advice here. Um, I, you need to Important speak. Disclaimer. Yeah, that's my disclaimer. There, there. It's not as easy as just saying, "Hey, I want to sell stuff," and you go and sell stuff. Yeah. You've got to you've got to plan for it and make sure it makes sense within your mission for the purpose uh, the purpose for which you were formed, because um, you know, otherwise you can get into some trouble. Right. But conceptually, I want individuals to consider. I want organizations to consider: is there perhaps is there some bit of knowledge, something they know really, really well, mm -hmm. where they can package a training and then go and sell that? Yeah. Um, they could do online trainings, webinars. They could create a curriculum. And, or they could write a book, or maybe they're, uh, they work in, in the human trafficking uh, world, and they Absolutely. have survivors of human trafficking who have some really cool skills at, at creating jewelry. And right. so they employ their survivors to uh, create jewelry that they then sell in an online marketplace, mm -hmm. and that generates revenue for the, for the ministry. Right. You know, there's lots of different things. Um, like different even ways then, Another example of that, like that, that I know of personally, is like um, my public speaking company. We're mm -hmm. partnered with a with a nonprofit called American Debate League, and and we train students up to the collegiate level how to debate, mm -hmm. right? And so that's an exchange of time for money, uh, but also knowledge for money, right? And so we're using some of the, the the time that we're taking to teach people to actually compose content and a course for that nonprofit so that they can then sell a course on debate, right? Which is, which is absolutely awesome and phenomenal. Um, and, and so there's just so many different organizations, right? And their mission is to help people be better speakers, thinkers, and leaders um, through the, 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 the mode of debate and communication and public speaking, right? Which is, which is absolutely an incredible mission. Um, but I think that, that that highlights the importance of there does have to be money exchanged at some point because this is a business, right? People pay for the, the lessons for speech and debate, right? There are discounted rates for underprivileged people, right? For people in certain situations. But, you know, the, the heart of it is that this is a business, even though it's not for profit, 
we have a mission, we have a vision, we're helping people, but at the same time, we need to pay the people that are instructors or directors, right? And I, I, I just think that that's an important thing to keep in mind for every organization, right? It really is. I, I've seen organizations where, you know, they're full volunteer led, they've been operating for 10, 15, 20 years, and they've done good work. They haven't really been able to, I think, achieve the, the maximum impact over time. I mean, mm -hmm. inevitably what happens is, um, and, you know, this isn't across the board, I'm not trying to completely generalize, but you know, people deserve to earn a fair wage for yep. a job well done. And volunteers can oftentimes get burnt out because life happens all around them. And you know, they're having to prioritize mm -hmm. how they spend their time. And on one hand, they've got something where they're, they're giving their time in exchange for feelings of, of uh, accomplishment or you know, whatever. Um, but on the other hand, they are, uh, maybe they need to pick up a second job because times are tough. Sure. What do they do? Well, you know, burnout can occur when, when people begin to feel like maybe they're not appreciated or not wanted or they're invisible or whatever. And, you know, money doesn't fix everything, but working to grow your organization so that you do have uh, paid team members who are earning a fair wage for a job well done, that's a good thing, right? Yeah. That, does all kinds of things for our economy. Uh, the, the nonprofit sector is is huge. It's uh, go look it up. What percentage? Because I don't remember the I don't remember the percentage offhand, but it's a, it's a large percentage. But you know, look at what percentage the nonprofit sector makes up of our national economy, right? Mm -hmm. You may be surprised. So you know, ensuring that organizations are um, sustainable internally. You know, ensuring that when you find someone who's quality, you're able to keep them. And you're not putting them in a position where they have to choose whether they want to follow their heart and do do good work, or they got to put food on the table. So they get, have to go get another job. Right. right. You see. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's something that that a lot of of nonprofits are struggling with right now, unfortunately, right. Um, being turned on their heads and, and things like that. Right. There's there's a, a record number of, of nonprofits set to close in the next five to ten years, which is heartbreaking. But I think that that's part of the importance of creating a sustainable model so that that doesn't have to be as much of a worry, as well as the other things that we've talked about throughout this summit, like fundraising, like film, like your prior proper planning, right? Like your strategic plans, your grant writing. All of these are very important, um, especially now more than ever, in order to be equipped and, and prepared for the change that has already happened and the change that is going to continue to happen as we figure our way out of this pandemic and, and all of the curveballs that have been thrown at us, right? And so you've given us these, these great cornerstones and based on the name cornerstone, I, I, I think I know the answer to this question, but can a nonprofit survive without utilizing one or more of these cornerstones? Well, it becomes wobbly. Sure. Think about that. So, you know, understanding what your four cornerstones are um, if, if you're really clear on these, these help frame your communications, your internal and external stakeholder communications, so sure. that you can speak to, very clearly to um, what's the problem you solve, what's the solution you offer, and for mm -hmm. whom. As you're speaking and trying to cultivate donors, you can speak very clearly to here's the problem we solve, solution we offer, for whom, here's how we generate revenue as an organization so right. that we can remain sustainable, so that your kind gift doesn't just evaporate. Right, it's going to help yeah. move us along. It doesn't just go into a black hole. 
So, you know, considering, um, you know, these four cornerstones as when you, when you pull one away, things get a little wobbly. Right. right, right. Um, and you know, think about if you, if you have a really poor revenue model, you don't really know how you're going to generate the money to support your, your really cool mission wobbly. Um, mm -hmm. If you're not really clear on who it is you're trying to help, when you focus on everything, you focus on nothing. And if you don't have focus, then in an already underutilized or under-resourced situation, you're spread even more thin. Yeah. Bigger yeah. issues, right? Right. Um, you know, just really being able to understand what is the core essence of what you do so that you can build from this bedrock rather than building on sand. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think that while we're talking about this, I, I want to bring this up is this uncertainty or, or possibly the making, making your organization wobbly by, by missing one of these cornerstones, things like that. Um, have you seen or, or would you tell us what you have seen as far as the effect that COVID has played on um, the necessity of these cornerstones, but also um, the change around the cornerstones, right? Because inevitably there are organizations whose problem was very clear cut or their solution was very clear cut. And now because of COVID that has kind of been taken out from under them. Um, what, what can you kind of tell us about that from what you've seen, but then also kind of ways to mitigate, prepare or fix that? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things I've seen quite a lot of is organizations being uh, forced to refocus and to streamline and really rather to, to distill what it is they do. Organizations that perhaps, um, you know, when, when times were better, when money may have been flowing more freely, they were trying to do too much, right? Yeah. They had 17 programs and services they offered for four or five distinct customer segments. It was just too much, right? Right. Whereas before, um, so there's an analogy I use and it's, if, if I have a bucket of water and I splash it on the wall, I make the wall wet. Nothing really permanent changes. Right. Somebody will probably get mad and tell me to clean up a, ma a mess, but yeah. it'll dry and everything goes back to normal. If I take that same water, you know, same amount, same chemical composition of water and focus it very tightly, I can cut through steel and brick and concrete mm -hmm. and create permanent change. So right. I would encourage you to ask yourselves, how focused is your mission? Because if you're tightly focused, then you're able to rally your resources around a singular point or, or a few very tightly focused points, you're not spread all over the place. So I've yeah. seen organizations that were forced to refocus and consider what's the problem they're solving and for whom, what's mm -hmm. the, the novel solution they're offering, and do they have a strong revenue model in place? Do they understand what they're doing so that they can survive for now and hopefully get back to thriving uh, once things clear up and, and we can get back to you know, living in whatever a new normal might be. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, you know, as we kind of close the way that you've, you've painted this for me in my mind, at least, is that um, when we look at a, an organization, we've got this, we've got this bedrock, this basic foundation uh, of empathy, right? And then, and then on top of that, we build this platform, which is composed of our, our, our mission, our vision, our, our business model, um, and then we've got these four cornerstones on which we build the organization, the people within it, our volunteers and, do and donors. And, and this is all charged, but focused within empathy and these mindsets and this business plan of what is our problem that we're solving? What is the solution that we provide for that problem that actually fixes it? 
How does that help our market? And then what happens with the money? Are we getting money? Are we giving money? What does that look like? And those four things kind of can guide and support the rest of the organization, right? And, and I think that that's just a, a really well-built image in my mind. I, I hope I hope I painted it for you well um, that, that are listening. But, you know, as we kind of close, are there any golden nuggets that you'd, you'd like to drop, Jeremy? Well, I've, I've tried to drop as many as I could along You've the way. You've been dropping them, that's for sure. And what I would, what I would say is, is um, stay curious and don't confuse habits with wisdom mm. because things change. And change is the only constant in the universe. And if your organization isn't continuing to evolve and change, and change as needed, not change for the sake of change, but you know, because you, you want to, you don't want to confuse um, activity and achievement either, because right. the hamster on the wheel never, never moves very far. They just run their legs off. So you know, not innovation for the sake of innovation, but sustainable innovation, which is based on the hallmark of um, you know, does the does this innovation actually serve a purpose, and can we keep doing it? Right. You know, staying insanely curious and focusing on the keeping things as simple as you can. Problem, solution, money, market. Are, do you know what those th four things look like within your organization? And um, are they still valid today? Those assumptions that you've made along the way that mm -hmm. you assume the problem is this. And did you actually go test that that actually really is a problem? Did you test that problem by leveraging empathy and, and interviewing folks and observing them in their natural yeah. habitat and maybe going back to prior clients or customers and asking them, what do they think uh, in hindsight? You know, did you test any of your assumptions? Did you remain curious? And are you staying um, nimble? Uh, because, you know, as I've said before, you, you can't plan for the future in the future. You got to plan for it now. One of the best ways we can prepare for the future is to keep our mindset sharp and focused on this, this curiosity piece. How might we do better? Um, how might we continue to grow and improve? What might come next? So, you know, staying with that childlike curiosity and, um, you know, focus on uh, ongoing, you know, continual improvement and uh, in, in what makes the most sense so that you can serve people with a spirit of excellence. And that's what we're going to leave you with. And you can take that into your day. Hopefully you, hopefully you win the day and you take charge of it by using this advice and keeping this mindset central in your head and in your heart. Jeremy, thank you so much for your time. It has been much appreciated. For anyone listening, if you want to get in contact with Jeremy, you can contact him on any social media platform at the handle Your Epic Mission. And uh, if you want to get his contact information, reach out to him. Uh, you can text Jeremy to 888-357-4456. Again, that's Jeremy at, to 888-357-4456. That's going to give you all his contact information, uh, the ability to reach out, connect with him, see what he's doing. And uh, if you want to uh, communicate with him about his services, you're also able to do that. Um, but this has been an absolutely phenomenal conversation about the four cornerstones that create an impact-focused, sustainable nonprofit business model. Um, I hope this was helpful for you guys. Thank you to Jeremy again for being on here. And uh, you know, next up, we have Heather Safekin. She's talking about sustainable giving and, and sustainable fundraising, which I think folds right into this topic extremely well. If you haven't signed up for that yet, you can go ahead and text event 17. That's the word event 17, no spaces 
to the summit number that I just repeated. And uh, that'll give you access to the workshop uh, as well as um, the workshop, right? It'll give you access to the link to see here. And uh, so we'll be back here in about 23, in, in 13 minutes uh, to talk with Heather about that. In the meantime, I'm signing off for now. I hope you guys had a wonderful workshop with us and I'll see you next time on the Nonprofit Comeback Summit. Have a great day.